Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through the Gospel of John. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. We need to get beyond this idea of, well, I don't know if I really, the cross, hmm, does that really make sense to me? Hey, if you recognize how desperate the situation is, how we're all destined for hell, how messed up we are, sinful, wicked, evil to the core, we all are when we're honest with ourselves, we can be thankful that God made the way through Jesus Christ, His Son. Jesus said, you lift me up, you might be saved when you look to me and put your faith and trust in me. God has made a remedy, so look to me and you'll be saved. The cross of Jesus is brutal. It's a grisly death, one that no one desires or would even wish on another. But that's how Jesus died. It's a fact. And Pastor Gary reminds you today that it's the fitting punishment for sin. Yet Jesus never sinned. So why would he choose to endure that? The answer is simple. Your love beyond what you could know. God's compassion on you and all humanity caused him to create the solution to the sin that kept us from him. And that was his son, dying in your place. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of John chapter 3 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Chapter 9, there is a very sad story about a man that Jesus heals, but because he gives glory to Jesus, he's going to get excommunicated from the synagogue, from the fellowship of the Jews. If the Jews in this day put their faith and trust in Jesus, they ran the risk of being disfellowshipped and excommunicated from the rest of the Jewish population. So Nicodemus is probably aware of this. My my reputation could be ruined because I'm associating with Jesus. I'm going to go at night. It's interesting in John 19, when it talks about Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, it says Joseph of Arimathea was a disciple of Christ, but quietly, discreetly, he was a hidden disciple. And it says, for he feared the Jews. Now it never comes right out and says Nicodemus was a disciple. So you can speculate. I personally think he ended up becoming one. That's just my guess. Maybe we'll see him in heaven. Maybe we won't. I think he becomes a follower of Jesus. But he's having, he comes to Jesus at night. He has this conversation with Jesus. Now, first thing that he says to Jesus is, we know there's something different about you. You know, everybody can tell here that you're, that you're unusual. We know, he says again in verse 2, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. So we know God is with you. Now, Jesus is going to try to help him understand God's not only with me, I am God, but, but that's coming. First, at least Nicodemus realizes 
You're doing something very unique and different from anybody else. I see it. It's obvious. The miracles speak for themselves. Now, what does Jesus do in response? He launches right into this idea of being born again. And it doesn't take time for small tarp. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I'm glad you've noticed the miracles. That's wonderful. Yes. Tell me your last name. I didn't get that. I only got Nick. What is your last name? He doesn't, you know, no small talk. He goes right into this. Because, you know, this is an urgent matter here. And he says to him, I tell you the truth. No one can see, circle that word, can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Underline kingdom of God, underline born again. First of all, the word see is the Greek word eido, and it can translate to know or to experience. This is not just something visual, Jesus is saying. He's talking about something potentially experiential. You can know, experience the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is is by itself another term that needs definition. In Luke 17, Jesus said the kingdom of God does not come with your careful expectations. Neither will people say here it is or there it is, for the kingdom of God is within you. So there's some times in the Bible where it talks about the kingdom of God as the rule of God in you and him reigning in your life as king in the kingdom. But then there are other times that sometimes that phrase kingdom of God is interchangeable with the idea of the kingdom of heaven. I think it's the latter that he's talking about here. He's talking about you're you're never going to experience heaven. You're never going to experience life eternal, which, by the way, is a phrase that John loves. He he talks here about eternal life. Uh, We'll get to that in a moment, more than any of the other gospels combined. Unless, Jesus says, you're born again. When he throws out that phrase, born again... Nicodemus responds like probably any of us would. If you had somebody say to you, hey, you need to be born again, and you have, you've never been to church, you have no idea about the Bible, you have no idea about spiritual truth or concepts about, about this whole idea, you'd ask the same thing that Nicodemus asks. And hear what he says. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asks. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Now, you're going to notice the word born is used here often. You know, Jesus says you have to be born again. Nicodemus says, how can I go back in my mother's womb and be born again? Now, they're talking about birth, each of them, but they're talking about two kinds of birth, and they're very different. But they're using the same word. Nicodemus doesn't get this. Jesus is talking here about spiritual birth. Nicodemus is thinking physical birth. Jesus is talking supernatural birth. Nicodemus is thinking natural birth. So they're having conversations for a little bit where, you know, Jesus, of course, knows what he's saying, but Nicodemus doesn't get it, and yet we're talking about being born. I don't understand. We're using the same words. It reminds me of this story about several years ago, corresponding with the 40th anniversary of when Neil Armstrong walked on the moon, which was 1969. And some friends of ours were having a discussion and the lady friend was saying about how she remembered the, uh, the moonwalk when Neil Armstrong walked on the moon, 1969, and reminiscing about you know, how she remembers that because she was old enough to remember. About that time, her 20-something-year-old daughter walks into the room and heard the tail end of the conversation about, I remember the moonwalk. <laughs> and her 20-something-year-old daughter said, yeah, I remember the moonwalk too. And her mom said... 
How could you remember the moonwalk? You weren't around 40 years ago, sweetheart. She says, 40 years ago? It wasn't 40 years ago. Yes, it was 40 years ago. It was 1969. Her daughter said, it wasn't 1969. It was like in the 80s. What are they talking about? They're talking both about the moonwalk, but one is thinking Neil Armstrong, and the other one is thinking Michael Jackson. The moonwalk. So it's the same terms, but they're on two different planes. That's what's going on here. Jesus like, you have to be born again. Born again? How can you be born again? Go back in your mother's womb. No, we're talking the same words, but we're talking two different things here. And so as he asks the question then, Jesus answers, verse 5. I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Born of water and the Spirit. Now, you read different commentaries here, and there's different ideas about what he means here. Uh, I will tell you that the Mormon church uh, believes that baptism is, water baptism is required for salvation based on this verse. You, you, have, to, you have to be born of water and of the Spirit. You have to be, that's water baptism, that's what Mormons will teach. There's also some groups within even Protestantism that will tell you you have to be baptized in order to go to heaven, which isn't true. Uh, water baptized to go to heaven, that isn't true. Um, but is he talking about water baptism here? You must be born of water and the Spirit. You must be water baptized and then be born of the Spirit in order to see, experience heaven and the kingdom of God. Well, no, he's not talking about water baptism. How do we know? Because he clarifies it in the next verse. Look at verse 6. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. In other words, there are two kinds of births. One is to be born of water. That's when flesh gives birth to flesh. That's when the amniotic fluid The sack breaks, amniotic fluid spills out, a baby is born physically. That's one type of birth. That's flesh giving birth to flesh. That's being born of water. But then there's a spiritual birth, where flesh gives birth to flesh, but then secondly, spirit gives birth to spirit. And he says in verse 7, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Now, underline that for you guys who like to take notes because there are four imperatives that are given here in chapter 3. This is the first one. You must. You must be born again. And we're going to see a little bit further down in verse 14 where Jesus says the Son of Man must be lifted up. You see that there in verse 14? The Son of Man must be lifted up. And then in verse 30... John the Baptist is speaking in verse 30, and he says, he, that is Jesus, must become greater. And then in reference to himself, I must become less. John the Baptist there speaking. So those four imperatives in the third chapter here, you must be born again, son of man must be lifted up on the cross to die for our sins. John the Baptist says, Jesus must become greater, I must become less. Very interesting imperative. So We'll, we'll talk as we make our way through. But back here to verse 7, Jesus says, you must be born again. And then verse 8, he says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. In other words, what he says to Nicodemus, listen, you can't see the wind, can you? You can't see the wind. You can see the effects of the wind. You can see the trees blow. You can feel it on your face, but you can't tell exactly what direction it's coming from. You can't tell what direction it's going. You can't see these things. You can't, you know, they're not tangible, and yet you can experience it. 
It's the same kind of thing when you're born in the Spirit. When you're born again, you come into personal relationship with Jesus. Is it anything you can actually see with your eyes? Well, in the sense of the effect that it has on your life can be visible to you and to other people, but the actual concept of spiritual birth, can you see that? Like you could see a baby being born from a womb? No, spiritual birth, you can't see like that with the eyes. We're talking one is natural, physical birth, one is supernatural, spiritual birth. One is of flesh, one is of the spirit, one is of the earth, one is of heaven. So he says, Nicodemus, you can't see the wind, But you believe the wind because you can feel it and experience it. You need to believe this. And then he adds, Nicodemus asks, how can this be? And Jesus here, he says, basically, look, you're one of the smartest guys in all of Israel. You're one one of Israel's teachers and you don't get this? Because if you don't get this and you're one of the smart guys, (laughs) we're in trouble. He says, do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth, we. Notice that, circle that pronoun, we. Now he speaks as part of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God revealed in three persons. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. He says, I've spoken to you of earthly things. This is the natural things. I've spoken to you of earthly things, natural things. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Physical birth. However... He says, I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things, supernatural things, spiritual birth? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man, okay, because until the plan of redemption and him dying on the cross, no access to heaven except through faith in Jesus, not yet. And then he adds this interesting thing there in verse 14 about just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. You can just keep your place there. I'm going to read you. It's only like six verses from Numbers chapter 21. He's referring to a story, a scene in Israel's history from Numbers chapter 21. The Jews are making their way from slavery in Egypt to the promised land of Israel. And along the way, they start to gripe and complain. You know the story if you've been with us or if you've read through Old Testament scripture. And so here's what happens in one of the scenes. I'm going to read Numbers 21 from verse 4 down through verse 9. This is what it says. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread. There is no water. And we detest this miserable food. And then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who was bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. And then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. Okay, so that's the scene there in Numbers chapter 21. Now there's this parallel. Jesus is saying here in John 3, Son of Man has to be lifted up, just like Moses lifted up the snake in the desert. And then he adds there that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. He makes this parallel here. Now it's, it's a little veiled, but we have the perspective of knowing the whole story. He's talking about when they raise me up vertically on a cross, and you look to me, 
you put your faith in me, you will be saved in a similar way that in Numbers chapter 21, there weren't chapters back then, so I mean, I'm making that part up, Jesus. Numbers chapter 21, remember that passage? Numbers chapter 21, Moses puts a snake up in a pole. People lived because what? They looked at the snake on the pole. Now, understand, that seems a little bizarre because snakes are usually associated with things evil and wicked snakes, you know, venomous things, right? Doesn't sound like it's a very warm and inviting thing. But here's what happened. When the people were complaining, God, as a matter of judgment against them, sent venomous snakes. Let's see how much you're going to complain now. You know, perspectives change when snakes come into the picture. Do you know what I'm saying? All of a sudden, your conditions are a whole lot better than you thought. And people are dying now because of the venomous snakes. So the people cry out. Moses intercedes. And God says, all right, fashion a snake. And Moses makes it out of bronze, which is a metal that represents judgment. And put a picture of a snake, a serpent, on the staff, raise it up, and then tell the people if they look at that, they'll be saved. Now, I guarantee you, if you're dying because there's a bunch of snakes around your feet ready to bite you, you'll do anything. Okay, is this what we need to do? Okay, I'll do this. I'll look at this. Sounds a little ridiculous. We're going to have to look at just this bronze snake on a staff, and that's going to save us? Yeah, that's what's going to save you. That's the remedy? That's the remedy. Okay, I'm in. And what's the alternative? I don't like this idea, so I'm just going to die, I guess, as the snakes bite me. And the parallel is, Jesus says, listen, as I'm lifted up on a cross, look to me that you might be saved. Don't think this is silly. Don't say to yourself, this doesn't make sense. Don't say to yourself, is there any other way? Okay? When the people saw their desperate need in the desert in Numbers chapter 21, they were grateful that God had made a way for them to be saved. I'm convinced that more people don't turn to Christ because they have not seen their desperate situation and their desperate need for a Savior. Once you recognize how desperate your condition, you will be thankful that God made a way, which is the cross, which is the way. I don't stumble over the fact when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I hear the critics. I know. You've heard the critics. You know. They say things like, that's so narrow-minded. How can that, there could be just this one way? How can there be this way? Jesus being so definitive like this. And you Christians who believe that the only way to be saved is through faith in Jesus Christ. How narrow-minded of you Christians. Hey, when you recognize your desperate need, that's not narrow at all. You're thankful that God made a way for us to be saved. And all who turn to him and look to him shall be saved. So we need to get beyond this idea of, well, I don't know if I really, the cross, hmm, does that really make sense to me? Hey, if you recognize how desperate the situation is, how we're all destined for hell, how messed up we are, sinful, wicked, evil to the core, we all are when we're honest with ourselves, we can be thankful that God made the way through Jesus Christ his son. Jesus said, you lift me up, you might be saved when you look to me and put your faith and trust in me. God has made a remedy, so look to me and you'll be saved. You want to sit around and analyze it? You want to sit around and debate it? You want to sit around and talk about why there should be many ways? Then you won't get saved. But if you can recognize that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and he gave his life on a cross for us, that we might have salvation and forgiveness of sins and be able to go to heaven because we trust him, then receive him and know him as your personal savior because God made the way for us to be saved. Now, he adds here, verse 16, here's this famous verse. By the way, I don't like the NIV revision, the 2011 NIV revision 
If you have a red letter Bible of the 2011 NIV, the red letters stop at verse 15. It's one of the reasons I don't like it. It's, it's a bad revision. It takes verse 16 away from the words of Jesus, and the 2011 NIV edition says that these are the words of John. Okay? They're not the words of John. They're the words of Jesus. Okay? Um, that's why I still like the 1984 NIV and the church Bibles we handed out. We had printed before they all were evaporated off the shelves, the 1984 edition. And so anyway, verse 16 is read. These are the words of Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. There's that term, eternal life. John uses it 16 times in his gospel. That's twice as many as the previous three gospels combined. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. These very incredible words that Jesus gives as the invitation to coming to know him in a personal way. He says, Nicodemus, here's the summary of all this. You can summarize it in one word, love. That God so loved, not a select few, the world, that he gave his only son, Jesus, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life, have everlasting life. How can we have everlasting life? Won't our bodies die? Yeah, our bodies will Go back to dust from which they were made. But when you trust Christ as your Savior, your spirit is regenerated. You have a spiritual birth, and therefore your spirit goes to be with the Lord in heaven, and you never experience eternal death. Listen, somebody once said, this isn't, I didn't make this up. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. When you're born once only physically, but you don't experience a spiritual birth, you will not only die physically, but you will also die spiritually and spend eternity separated from God. But when you are born twice, when you're born physically and then you were born spiritually because you put your faith in Jesus, you only die once. You experience a physical death, but your spirit goes to be with the Lord forever and ever and ever. Problem is some people don't want to step into the truth because they don't want to be exposed. That's the last part of this part. You said a lot of people don't want to come into the light for fear that their evil deeds will be exposed. It's vulnerable. It's humbling to have to admit, I'm a sinner, to step into the light. But once you do, you see, the, the, the lie of Satan, the lie of the enemy is don't come into the light. It's better that you just live your sinful life in darkness and in secret Nobody has to know. Everything's fine. Well, sure, he loves to whisper that lie into our ears because that's, of course, right to hell. He doesn't want us to experience the liberty of coming into the light, as vulnerable as it is, as uncomfortable sometimes as it is to come face to face with the Lord and to say, Lord, I have sinned. I confess. I'm in desperate need of you. I am a sinner like everybody else. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. That can be very vulnerable. That takes a lot of humility. That takes some courage. But when you step into the light, 
as he is in the light. You have fellowship with him, and the blood of his son Jesus purifies us from all unrighteousness. That's what John will later write in 1 John. So step into the light. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, come to that place of humility. Ask him to come into your heart. Experience that spiritual birth. Be born again. The Gospel of John is an interesting take on the life of Jesus. He was absolutely a man who experienced things as a human. But he's also God. And so because of that, he's able to do things that are unthinkable to the average human. But it's clear to see through this book that Jesus is anything but average. He's the Son of God. Are you interested in knowing more about Jesus and what He's done for you? Perhaps you'd like some prayer support in what you're learning or growing in. If so, please email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? We'd like to invite you to come join us this Sunday for a time of worship, Bible study, and fellowship at Cornerstone Chapel. You can find out service times and other information when you visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find previous messages from Pastor Gary and even download our mobile app. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for tuning in and hearing some things from the book of John that may be life-altering for you. We look forward to you joining us again for our next edition here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know